I'm Dan Paletta. Before we welcome our guest, I just want to thank everyone who is a listener and subscriber to the podcast. We appreciate you joining us each week for a couple of podcasts here from Cranes, as well as a special thanks to the Cranes crew involved in producing this podcast, a very hardworking bunch. They never tell you that's not my job. Their answer is always, how can I help you? Special thanks to Elizabeth McIntyre, Scott Sattel, our former producer, Cody Smith, and our current producer, Connor Howard. And now as they used to say on Looney Tunes, it's on with the show. Since 1923, the goal of the Cleveland Council on World Affairs is both a noble and lofty one, to promote world peace. Here to talk about the nuts and bolts of making that happen and what the organization does is its CEO, Karina Van Vliet. Karina, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for, for the warm welcome. The council, as we made, dates back to 1923. Who are the organization's members? Great question. And back to the founding of the organization, 1923, um, in preparation for our centennial, we've actually been digging through our archives, and it turns out that our founding has a lot to do with groups of women peace activists in the aftermath of World War One at the time who wanted to engage um, themselves and others in Cleveland in the study and therefore the greater understanding of what was going on in the rest of the world because they very much believed, uh, as I do today, that the more you know about the rest of the world, the better you appreciate how different countries operate and how different cultures think differently than we do, you may be less inclined or you may be more inclined to have a more productive relationship with them and therefore less inclined to go to war. You know, so obviously with hindsight always being 2020, we know that those efforts from the 1920s uh, didn't quite pan out because we certainly had World War II and a number of other conflicts that the United States and uh, has, has been engaged in over the past century. But very much that notion of individuals in Cleveland committed to being engaged on international issues uh, because that was going to be better for the United States uh, and better for us in Cleveland to know what's going on in the rest of the world. And that's still very much what animates our council today. And, you know, more specifically, as I mentioned, this involves individuals of all ages. We work with middle school students all the way through individuals who have retired. Uh, and the individuals who engage with us come from a very broad range of professional backgrounds, but obviously a lot of people who are engaged in international business, uh, a lot of doctors at the Cleveland Clinic who have uh, very a global patients and themselves often come from international backgrounds, a lot of law firms, uh, other professional services who have international clients, and just generally um, people in Cleveland who um, have a personal passion for international travel or or learning about other countries. So it's it's a really wide range of audiences. And as I'm sure we'll get into, that very much uh, shapes how we deliver our programming because we have to tailor content to meet audiences where they are and provide them with an engaging experience to want to continue to learn about what's going on in the world. And that takes a variety of shapes and forms. You mentioned, for the example of doctors who come from other countries, Cleveland is, of course, a city of immigrants, as are many cities, but we are in particular. Do you have a lot of immigrants and newcomers who want to be part of the councils because they have an interest in what's going on in their home country or in foreign affairs? We do, but I would say that very recent newcomers are typically 
typically very concerned with pressing needs related to making sure their families are safe. Uh, they get the English as a second language training that they need. Uh, their children, you know, get into schools, they find jobs, they find homes. And so what I found is it's more of the sort of longer I don't know if longer term is the right word, but sort of legacy immigrant populations or people who've been immigrants for a very long time. Those are the ones that typically want to engage with the council and sort of once the immediate shock, which a lot of, you know, as we know, Afghan refugees, but we have a lot of Congolese and 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 um, and and Cambodians and Nepalese communities here who have already sought refuge in Cleveland. And I think it's 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 more sort of a bit down the line that they want to engage with the Cleveland Council on World Affairs. And as you said, think about developments that are going on in their home countries. And also I think as human beings, we all want to share our backgrounds with others. And I think that's also what CWA is all about is being a gathering place for the international community, whether they're expats who are here for business. We have a lot of global companies, so we just have a lot of international professional professionals that come to Cleveland for a small or extended professional stint, in addition to, to the immigrant, uh, and like I said, the historical immigrant uh, populations that we are so lucky to have in Cleveland. You joined the council in January 2019 as CEO after your career that included a serving as a political affairs officer at the UN. You were a senior advisor to the 2015 Nobel Peace Prize Forum and also served as regional manager for business development and communications at the global law firm Jones Day. What led you to, to, to join the council and, and become its CEO? Well, so a bit of context. <laughs> uh, my husband's the Clevelander. Okay. So like, yep. So like many others in Cleveland, I, it makes me very happy to say I moved to Cleveland for love, right? Because that sort of says a lot about why we're in Cleveland doing what we do for Cleveland. And so when I was at, in New York at the UN, I was also a term member at the Council on Foreign Relations. And so when I moved to Cleveland, um, I was honestly looking for a place in Cleveland where I could continue to stay informed about international developments uh, and keep my connection to international affairs. And so I actually joined CWA as a member. And specifically, I joined the Cleveland Committee on Foreign Relations, which is our members-only dinner and dialogue series. And this goes, you know, a bit deeper into the foreign policy details. And so that was perfect for me. And in fact, fun fact, on May 24th, we, we will be celebrating the closing of the 83rd season of the Cleveland Committee on Foreign Relations. So there is uh, certainly a lot of legacy in that program. And what I found when I joined CWA as a member is, quality speakers. I mean, there's the same speakers that I could listen to in New York at the Council on Foreign Relations. And in addition, you know, I met a lot of people who were also interested in international affairs, sort of the the various, um, you know, individuals who engage with CWA that I talked about earlier. And so there was a community aspect to this as well. So I was very lucky <laughs> when yeah. I uh, took the job was, you know, I had insights because I'd been a member for uh, almost four years and loved the organization and also felt that I could, um, in working for the council, I could leverage my international experience and I could leverage that commitment that I had at the United Nations to world peace, to human rights, to international developments, and I could take that and help shape programming at CCWA. You know, CCWA had great programs, but I felt that I could take my background and do a couple of things. You know, one is honor that that legacy of our founders, who were these women peace activists, and so tie this into to world peace. And then 
across our, we, we basically run um, four major program areas, which are speaker programs, our international exchange programs in partnership with the State Department. We have programs for students and teachers, most famously uh, our Model UN program, uh, which engages close to 2,000 students across Northeast Ohio. And we have a variety of professional development programs that have a global lens. And so I just wanted to use my, my background to make our work uh, more thoughtful and to make sure that today in 2022, we're tackling the kinds of global issues that I saw at the UN and our programs could serve as a resource here on those issues here in Cleveland. So, you know, basically it was put CCWA on a trajectory from good to great, right? The proverbial uh, model for, for nonprofit and community engagement. You were born in France to American parents. You studied political science and international relations in college. How many different places have you lived before you came to Cleveland? Oh, wow. You're making me do hard math <laughs> um, on the fly. So I... Um, I studied abroad in, in a number in a number of places: Germany, Spain, Italy, Chile, China. Uh, I worked in China. I worked in France, and uh, and, and worked in, in a couple of places in, in the United States. So, but obviously, with the United Nations, I was based at UN headquarters in New York in the Department of Political Affairs, and had the uh, amazing lifetime opportunities to travel on mission to. A number of extraordinary countries that I could spend hours talking yeah. about, <laughs> um, but probably not as, uh, as as relevant for the conversation. So, I'm interested though because I mean, how different as a perspective does that provide you as a person who was not born in this country? You've lived all these other places. How does that change your perspective or give you a different perspective as a, to a native-born person? I think fundamentally, why having a, a different perspective is a value add. Is simply because in every single interaction you have with someone else at the individual level or at the national level, every single interaction that the United States has with a foreign country or with foreign audiences, there, there's there's sort of this clash of perspective, the American perspective and the foreign perspective. And the more you understand about that foreign perspective, the better you're going to be able to communicate as an American your own values, your own beliefs, and your own positions, and hopefully come to a better common ground. This is about building common ground with all of the seven going on eight billion other people who happen to inhabit our same planet at this same moment in time. And we all have to coexist, uh, and we all come at our common existential problem of we all have to live together on this planet now <laughs> from our different perspectives. And so the more you understand about your own perspective and why and how you come at this, this profound existential question, and the more you seek to understand how others come at it, the higher the likelihood of us being able to find this middle ground and to be able to coexist. And again, to coexist peacefully and sustainably. Karina Van Vliet is the CEO of the Cleveland Council on World Affairs. She joins us today for the Landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Karina, obviously people who are members of the council uh, are interested in foreign affairs, but you'll frequently hear people say things like, well, I'm sorry about what happened in Afghanistan, but I'm in Cleveland. Why do I care? Or, I mean, we even had a politician recently saying, I don't want to talk politics here, say, I don't really care what happens in Ukraine. How do you convince those people that they do need to care what happens in Ukraine or what's going on in Afghanistan, that it does, in fact, affect them? 
that's the million dollar question in international affairs. Uh, and I would say three things. And we'll start with the obvious one, which is number one, it's the economy uh, or business, right? And we live in a global competitive economy. And of course, as Americans, we have a huge domestic market. So yes, perhaps we don't need to worry about that as much as other countries. But as we're seeing today, and precisely with this question of a war in Ukraine and a global pandemic, these things have completely disrupted our trade patterns and created all sorts of problems across entire segments of our economy. These things are all related. And it goes back to the, you know, tried but true adage of what's global is local, because eventually these things all come and impact us here. And all of these global dynamics, whether they impact our economic prospects or they, or they impact our security, these developments that happen outside of our borders impact us here. And again, the more we understand them, the more we know about them, the better we can prepare the best response for us, for our national security interests, for our business interests. I mean, you know, this is about the game is trying to get ahead of these trends. And tied second is, you know, our values and our way of life. And this is also something that there's a lot of true experts out there who can speak to this better than I can, but the United States has built up a world order over the past 70 years with our sweat, our blood, our treasure, and this is an international global system that underpins American values, um, including our ability to trade freely uh, and to trade in ways that benefit our businesses and, and, our, and us as workers back in the U.S. And yes, this is a really challenging moment in time because there's a lot of other actors um, on the world stage who are pushing back. Uh, I talked about the students that I had in China 20 years ago. China, China has ambitions and they want to be the global leader. And if we don't pay attention, if we don't engage and we say, oh, that's I don't you know, that's not my problem. That's happening somewhere else. Well, you know, that's we will start undoing the investment that we've made internationally in this global system. And we may find ourselves living by very different rules, and I'm not sure we'll like them. Uh, and then third and final point, our planet. I mean, there's just no way to, there's, there's no other way to say this. Climate change is a global problem. And it's not because we live here in the United States or in Cleveland, Ohio, that we can escape its impacts. I think we're very fortunate in Cleveland that we will likely see um, lesser impacts of climate change than other parts of the U.S. and certainly um, than other countries who are more who are going to be more affected by climate change. But what's climate change is going to do is, you know, create climate driven migration. And so that's, you know, and they're going to probably want to come to, to the United States. And so that's going to affect us as well. And so so I guess what I would say to to people who, you know, don't see the value of engaging internationally or for whom it appears too challenging or too distant or too complex. Yeah, that's true. It's distant. It's complex. It's not easy. It's hard. It's challenging. It's all of the above. But if we don't engage, we're just not going to be happy with ourselves. One of the things that CCWA does is try to make Cleveland more of a global city, in particular when visitors come here from other parts of the world, whether it's for business or cultural reasons. How do we interact? How, do, how, does the, how does the council interact with those people? And what do you do to try to convince them about the, the worthwhileness of Cleveland? 
So on the issue of Cleveland being a global city, I think this is this is really, really important. Um, you know, being a global city is about having a global mindset. And uh, and that's something that the council has spent a lot of time thinking about how we could help support. Uh, and we developed a, a global competency uh, training program that um, I'm happy to talk more about if that's of interest. And we use all of our programs. So again, speaker programs, student programs, professional development programs, and our international exchanges um, to allow Clevelanders to engage internationally. And I think you brought up the international exchange work that we do in partnership with the State Department. And actually, today as we're speaking, uh, my colleagues are running around with 83 Fulbright scholars who are here on a enrichment seminar that we're doing with the State Department. So we have 83 leading academics from over 40 countries around the world who are here in Cleveland. And last night when we did the, the welcome ceremony, we had the Assistant Deputy Secretary of State for Economic and Cultural Affairs in town. And everyone was so positive on Cleveland. It was great. And it's like if Cleveland, if we only knew how easy it is to sell ourselves, every all the visitors that we bring here leave with such a positive impression of Cleveland. And so... So th this, to me, um, the, the exchange work that we do is, is certainly a wonderful way to, to showcase Cleveland to our international guests. Um, and, you know, when, when I go home to France in my little village and I, I see my high school friends and they're like, oh, Cleveland, where is that? You know, and you sort of have to say, yes, it's a city in the United States between New York and Chicago. Huh. And they're like, oh, New York, oh, Chicago. OK, I get it. You know, Great Lakes. And I think the, the same of all of the guests that we bring here from the State Department. These are individuals who are leading professionals in what they do in their countries. And they go back and they have such a positive impression a, of Cleveland, which makes me very happy <laughs> that people know about us. And B, because they have such a great experience in Cleveland of the United States in general and of Americans. And this is actually a really interesting way that CWA contributes to U.S. foreign policy through what's called public diplomacy. And this is the work the State Department does to have foreigners get to meet Americans, come to appreciate Americans. And that all contributes to what I was talking about before, better understanding, better, greater appreciation, um, and therefore, again, a higher chance of having more productive and more peaceful relationships with the individuals and with those countries. One of the things you mentioned is that you do have bring in a lot of speakers. On May 18th, Fiona Hill will be here, a former National Security Council member and a current Brookings senior fellow, she, giving a presentation from Russia to Rust Belts, witness to democratic fragility. This has been moved as, uh, to the Cleveland Metro, uh, Metropolitan Bar Association Auditorium because of such demand. Why do you think people are so interested in this topic? Uh, well, we are super excited about hosting Fiona Hill next week. Why are people um, so interested in this topic? Well, I think the Cleveland community cares greatly about what's happening to Ukraine. And Fiona Hill is one of our country's leading experts on Russia, specifically on President Putin. So I think everyone wants to hear her views. And then obviously Fiona Hill had a very public role in the 2019 impeachment proceedings uh, in Congress when she testified about the role of Russia in her 2016 election. So I think there's a little bit of also star power uh, involved in the interest in hearing her views. 
And I think what the audience will get uh, next Wednesday, I'm hoping the audience will, will get two things. You know, one is we were very intentional with the timing of this program. Um, obviously, in late February, when uh, war broke out and Russia invaded Ukraine, further than it had previously, you know, a lot of people reached out to me and wanted to know what is going on. Can you explain this? You know, and the reality is, as a former political analyst myself, in the immediate aftermath of these these big military, these big events, you know, there's a lot of fog of war going on. And it's really hard to provide good, fact-based, thoughtful analysis. And so with the hindsight of roughly two months, I think Dr. Hill is going to really be able to give us detailed and a fact-based assessment of the war in Ukraine, why it's driven by President Putin, and also give us, you know, she's a foreign intelligence, she's a former uh, intelligence officer, and she's really going to be able to explain to us why we as Americans should care about this and why this is in our national security interest to deal with Putin and, to, and, and, and some scenarios for how we could handle this smartly and strategically. And then, as you mentioned, you know, her book, From Russia to Rust Belt, so tie into to Cleveland with our legacy uh, manufacturing industry, Witness to Democratic Fragility, um, you know, that is really, this is her book that she published with her thoughts on why democracy is under threat, of course, in countries like Russia, but also here in the United States. And I think she has some important messages about the linkages between economic dislocation, which is a huge problem for legacy manufacturing economies, and the rise of populist or even authoritarian political trends. And I think she has some really important lessons to share with us as to why this matters and what we as Americans should and can do about it. So um, it's going to be a tremendous talk. Couldn't be more timely. Karina Van Vliet, thanks so much for joining us today. Great pleasure having you on The Landscape. Thanks for inviting me. It was lovely to talk to you, Dan. Karina Van Vliet is the CEO of the Cleveland Council on World Affairs. She joined us today for The Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paulette. Again, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.